All right, how's it going, guys? This is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview investors, researchers, and entrepreneurs in the domain of emerging technology. We've been interviewing a number of folks in the startup ecosystem as of late. Today, I'm lucky enough to be on the line with the founder of Ultralight Startups, Mr. Graham Lawler. Graham, how are you today? Very good. How are you, Dan? I'm doing very well. I know I, I recently got to meet you in person at one of the events down there in New York. I'm excited for when you come up here uh, to my backyard in Boston. And uh, I know that, that you folks take a little bit of a different angle on the startup scene. I wanted you to first define, because I imagine even some of the people tuned into the podcast wouldn't necessarily know offhand, what is an ultralight startup? Well, that's a very good question. So um, I guess officially at this point, ultralight startups is just our registered trademark for our organization, uh, and what we do is we host pitch events where startups present to investors and an audience, um, and and get feedback on their ideas and their and their business businesses. Uh, so we do that in New York and Boston and Silicon Valley, occasionally in other cities, uh, and we do that in multiple industries. We do a, a series of pitch events, monthly pitch events for internet and high-tech startups, and we do a series for energy and clean-tech startups, and we've done a little bit in financial services as well. So that's what Ultralight Startups is. I came up with the name Ultralight Startups about five years ago um, to get to the idea that you can do more with less capital nowadays, and uh, it seems like that's what you're you're interested in. Um, So it's just just that, um, you know, at one point in time, like, you know, startups in the 1990s, for example, uh, you know, raised millions of dollars of capital, and they would go out and uh, you know, rent offices and have big staff, and they would have lots of servers and and engineers and build a lot of things from scratch. Whereas nowadays, you know, most of those costs are eliminated, and you can sort of uh, get all those services on demand uh, or free uh, through open source software and cloud computing and you know, social media marketing and things like that, rather than uh, spending a lot of money up front. So it requires a lot less capital to launch a startup and to test an idea. Indeed, and and that's uh, that's something I wanted to be able to dial into just a bit here. Um, I know many of the folks at Ultralight, um, you know, some some of whom have kind of angel backing or things along those lines. Other other people are really, as you had mentioned, they're you know able to bootstrap things very much from scratch. Everything from yogurt and food companies to you know you had mentioned financial ser- uh, uh, services. Uh, domain. Um, when someone's making that that plunge and transition and funding a project themselves, are there any common pitfalls or, or general advice that you'd give to somebody in that scenario? I know normally startups are thought of as you know you you scrap in the basement, eat the ROM, and then the angel funding comes. But I know there are a number of people that have pulled it off successfully based on what they've had saved up or what they can funnel in from you know other other gigs that they've had in the past. Um, you know, it's a good question. I think probably the um most important thing uh, for a startup, especially if you're bootstrapping, is to really get to know your customer and understand what their needs are and try and sell something. Um, and uh, you, should, you should be selling as early as possible, ideally before the product is made, before the product is designed, before you have anything off on the shelf. Uh, find out who your customer is going to be, that is to say who's going to be paying you and talk to them and ideally get them to sign a contract, sign on the dotted line, commit to paying you, maybe even pay you in advance. Um, and then only after you know what somebody's willing to pay for, you then design your product and build it. Um, so Kickstarter is a fantastic example of that phenomenon. Yes, they are. 
in place. So you, know, you, you launch a Kickstarter campaign, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build the, the Pebble Watch, and the Pebble Watch doesn't exist yet, but you launch a campaign and you get a lot of traffic and you know, a lot of uh, people committing to buy it uh, and pre-ordering it. And then with that, you not only do you have the capital to you know, develop the product and to manufacture the product, but you also validate that there is a market that you know, what you're planning on building, um, people want to buy. And I think that's, that's super important. Um, it's a little bit less important with uh, venture-funded startups because a lot of the time venture-funded startups don't necessarily know what their revenue model is or who their customer is right at the outset. And they're more going for scalability uh, in the beginning. So if you think about, you know, Facebook, uh, if you watch the movie The Social Network, I'm sure your listeners will have seen that, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg really didn't know what his business was when he started it. He he was at Harvard and he wanted to wanted to meet girls or you know test out his web development skills or whatever it was. And and only much later, after it uh, had you know much much more traction and, and lots and lots of users, did they ever figure out what the revenue model is? So that that's possible with a venture funded startup, but a little less possible with a bootstrapped startup. Indeed. And as a, a final little uh, tidbit here on the topic of. Uh, Startups that are that are begun by individual founders who are who are out there uh, solo. I know I, I've heard some uh, angels and VCs mention. You know, to be honest, it, with certain business models, I don't really even necessarily care if there's a co-founder per se. If there's someone with a lot of traction and they've really been able to prove something, you know, it doesn't much matter to me. There's other people that I've I've heard mention. Um, we recently had on uh, one of the head folks from uh, Launchpad up here in the Boston area uh, who had mentioned that really in in a lot of respects, you know, you got to have a coder guy and you got to have a seller guy, and so often are they not. The the same person that that ultimately you know you, you positively need that. Do you have any? Uh, you know, I, I got to meet a number of individual founders at your at your event there. Um, is there different kinds of advice or, or another way of thinking or even business models to focus on for folks that are going that route of an individual founder? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I think that there are certainly cases where startups have been founded by teams or or a pair or you know co-founders, uh, and cases where. St- Startups founded by one person, and those can be those can be super successful as well. I mean, one that uh, springs to mind right away is Dropbox, which was founded by Drew, Drew Houston, um, an individual software developer. And uh, one of the reasons I know about that is because uh, he applied to Y Combinator, uh, probably the most prominent uh, startup accelerator in Silicon Valley. And uh, he he was you know they ask for teams, they ask for people with. Um, uh, you know, at least two two founders. Um, he didn't have that. He applied as a solo founder, and he got in. Um, he's he's an excellent uh, software developer and engineer himself. Ah. And and uh, it actually is is one of the two most most uh, successful startups that came out of Y Combinator, them and Airbnb. So you can definitely be successful on your own as well. Hmm. And, and was that also the case? I, I know he does have a co-founder now, but I, it's interesting. I didn't even know that when he went into Y Combinator, he was uh, he was rolling solo. Was that the same case with Amazon, I can imagine? Uh, Although I'm not he, certain. It may be. I mean, certainly you hear about Jeff Bezos as being the founder of Amazon. I don't know. I've never heard about another another founder. Me neither, to be frank. So if if there was, I suppose they've lost the limelight. Yeah. But uh, but is there is there any any other different mentality or approach? I know we're just wrapping up here, but any other mentality or, or approach or, or even just factors to consider for someone who is um, doing things solo? I know you've been involved in so many projects yourself, and you've just seen oodles and oodles of startups uh, presenting uh, at your events there. Any different considerations for an individual as opposed to a, a small squad? Um, I would say, you know, 
in a startup or any small company, you know, you have the same kind of set of tasks to perform, but a smaller number of people than you have in a big company, whether that's a big company with thousands of people or a big company with 10 people. I mean, if you're a, if a solo founder, you got to do everything yourself. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be necessarily an expert in everything. You're not going to have the time to focus on, you know, every individual detail as, as much as you would if you were, you know, in a big company and just had a, a, a narrower role. Um, so you have to just be that much better at sort of context switching and, uh, and you know, interrupt. And, and focusing on the things that need to get done uh, rather than um, get distracted. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger challenge. Um, I would say you probably are well advised to you know, seek advisors and mentors, and, and that's true even if it's a, a team or two founders, um, but uh, getting that additional sort of expertise and, and, um, and mentorship from from uh, a set of advisors, I think, is becomes even more important as you, if if you're only a, a solo founder. And that's that's very interesting. And I, I suppose it should be logical, but for whatever reason, to me, it wasn't. Maybe it sounds as though what you're saying is find the benefits that co-foundership imparts, being that sounding board, being those other ideas, being that the filling of other roles, and find if if you don't have a co-founder, then find other means of attaining those same benefits. It's not just co-founders that are ordained to success. There are these success factors that are generally conducive to that situation. So fill those same requirements, those same needs, what what an ideal co-founder would do, but maybe just with other resources or relationships. Yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, if your team is, your company is going to grow, your team is going to grow as well. Of course. I mean, there's no big companies that, that only have one employee, so no. you're going to need you're going to need to fill it out uh, eventually. But uh, if you're a solo founder, um, yeah, f- um, you know, finding out, you know, where your your the gaps are in your skill set and your experience and your network, and your capabilities, and, and filling that in with uh, with a trusted set of advisors and and uh, you know eventually with employees as well. Indeed, and, and obviously one place to potentially find co-founders or, or even just meet other uh, interesting folks, investors, advisors, etc., would be at events. Where can people go to learn more about uh, Ultralight? Well, I bet you asked. Uh, they can go to ultralightstartups.com. That's all one word. Easy enough. Uh, uh, they can find us on Twitter at ULSnet. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Um, Meetup. Uh, that's about it. We have an email newsletter that's, that's very widely read. It yep. comes, out, comes out every week. So um, you find us there as well. I am on that one myself. So very good. All right, folks. Well, check out uh, Ultra Light. Hopefully I'll be able to catch you at one of the events if you're out here on the East Coast. Mr. Graham, thank you very much for taking the time for the interview today. Well, thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, and make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, 
but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>